It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's a destination. We are finally here. Let's go. What is good, everyone? Welcome back to episode 11 of Destination Dynasty. I am your host, Scott Connor, at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. You can find everything DD related over on Patreon at patreon.com slash all gas. The Dynasty and Chill Patreon, where you get all of my extra content weekly in-season, off-season, patreon.com slash dynasty and chill. And then finally, over on the Destination Devi newsletter, allgas.beehive.com slash subscribe. Get weekly content from the Destination Devi team, DFS, gambling, dynasty, redraft, college football, pro football, everything you can think of. There's content weekly over from all the Destination Devi contributors. So check that out, enter your email, and you get something every single weekend in your inbox. Now on to the show. Today's episode is going to be part of an off-season series. We're going to get started a little bit early. Uh, In the next four weeks, are going to talk about stuff you can do to prep your teams for the off-season. So that's going to run all the way until week 18. Uh, And I do want to announce that I am going to go live for the first live stream on YouTube. That is going to be week 18. There is no Sunday night or Monday night football. The season ends, obviously, in week 18, and we will do a live stream. So the first live Destination Dynasty, that will be January 8th, 2023. We have a lot of follow-up questions. I've gotten a lot of Twitter DMs, Discord DMs, GroupMe DMs. People have reached out to me and said, hey... Listen to your roster construction series. Appreciate it. It's gotten me thinking a little bit differently about how my teams are going to be constructed going into the offseason. But here's my question. What do I do in this circumstance? What do I do in that circumstance? This type of format, these rules, these settings. I want to address all of that, but it's really hard to get into the nuances on an episode like this. I tried to give a little bit of an expansion in terms of some of those questions last week. But last week's episode was really just to tie the four-parter together, Uh, and I want to get more questions, and I want to dive a little bit deeper into people's thoughts on the live stream. So that is going to be, again, January 8th, after the games on week 18. We'll do some follow-up to the roster construction. We'll take live questions and really just start discussing the offseason. And we do do live streaming over on my other gig, which is Trades in 5. So Dynasty Trades in 5 on YouTube at Trades in 5. So check that out. We do weekly live streaming, usually twice a week. We do live streaming on there. So check that out if you want more YouTube content from me. Uh, but just put it in the calendar. January 8th, the first live Destination Debbie episode will be on YouTube and taking questions for everything 2023 rookie drafts, everything off-season, and then obviously a lot of the follow-up roster construction series questions you're going to want to bring to that stream. So let's get into it. So today's first episode is going to talk about two different things that have been on my mind. Uh, One of them is going to be off-season strategy with the wide receivers. Uh, I talked about this a lot Uh, on the couple other episodes that I've discussed, wide receiver threshold, and then obviously the wide receiver roster construction show, talking about developing your threshold and figuring out who are the guys you want to keep for the upcoming year in terms of are they threshold receivers. Go back and listen to that episode if you want the definition of what that is. But I really want to dive into how we can maybe forecast this going forward, because I think 
there is a lot of discussion around, okay, this guy, is he a roster clogger? Is he not a roster clogger? I'm usually pretty liberal with throwing around that term roster clogger only because when in doubt, a guy is probably a roster clogger. But I wanted to dive a little bit deeper because I identified a mistake that I made this year. And I don't want to say it was a mistake, but just acknowledging what type of bet that I made and how it didn't work out and some of the dangers of making these types of bets. So I'm going to give this example, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the current wide receiver landscape and how to maybe find some guys that are players that appear to be roster cloggers, but maybe they aren't. And then in more frequent cases, players that might not appear to be roster cloggers, but then you look at them and you go, yeah, this is probably a player that if they have any value, I want to probably get rid of them and not count on them being a threshold receiver going into 2023. So we're going to go back. We're going to go back to the summer of 2022, where I had already implemented this strategy. I mean, I talked about this on the wide receiver episode. I've been doing this for four years now. Back since 2019, I've been playing wide receivers this way, where I'm looking at a threshold, looking at ways to pivot in and out of that threshold to accrue value, but I always want to stay within this range. And I've become even more meticulous over the last couple years on really, really sticking to my guns with these roster constructions, looking at my teams and saying, okay, where is the threshold? Where is the cut line? Now it differs based on your format. I'm in some really deep leagues where it's obviously different. And then I'm in some really shallow leagues where it's obviously very, very different, meaning it's probably the top 40 receivers or lower. And then in some deeper leagues, maybe it goes out to wide receiver 70, wide receiver 75. So you have to establish what that threshold is. Again, I talked about that on the roster construction episode talking about wide receivers. But once you've established that, you're always looking for values that you think can be in that range. You're looking for values of players and you go, you know what, maybe I need another receiver here, but I don't want to pay a first round pick to go get one. I need my wide receiver eight on a team. Where can I find that cheaply? Are there any available within my leagues? And I made two distinct bets last year on guys that had no historical precedence of being threshold wide receivers. But I bought into the situation. I bought into some words that were coming from beat writers. I bought into the quarterback efficiency. All of those things I was looking at as, okay, these guys are probably on the fringe, but I can justify paying for them and actually giving something up for them and banking that they can be a threshold receiver, even if only for a year. And I'll give you the two names. You might be surprised, you might not, if you followed me or if you know me, but the two names are K.J. Osborne of the Vikings, Kendrick Bourne of the Patriots. So I first looked at those guys and I said, okay, in their time where they've been given playing time. So I didn't really look at did they earn playing time necessarily. I just looked at the opportunities that they've had in the past. If you remember, Kendrick Bourne, during the end of his 49ers tenure, was pretty productive. Then he signed a surprising deal in free agency with the Patriots and ended up having a decent first year with the Patriots. So you looked at that and you said, okay, maybe this guy is set to be a little bit more than a roster clogger, a little bit more than a wide receiver four that a team overpaid for. Because you remember the last couple off seasons, you've seen receivers get paid more money than you ever really thought. You've seen guys get paid seven, eight, nine, ten plus million a year. And you go, wow, this much mean the team's going to use them. And then they don't. So I think that's becoming a trend. And that's more of just the scarcity of receivers that hit free agency. Teams tend to keep their good receivers. So the teams that have to get a receiver in free agency usually end up paying a little bit more. I think we're going to end up seeing that this offseason as well. But it tells you that the contract isn't necessarily indicative of, okay, the team is going to have to use this guy because they paid him X amount of dollars. And especially if it's, you know, somewhere between five to 10 million a year, really, that's nothing relatively speaking, for a number four wide receiver. Now, you'd probably rather not pay a guy eight, nine, ten million million to be your number four receiver, but we've seen it happen. You know, look at Cedric Wilson. Miami paid him before they got Tyreek Hill. Ends up Trent Sherfield taking that role. Cedric Wilson's an afterthought. He's making a lot of money to be an afterthought, but there you go. A couple years before, two years before, the Patriots paid both Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar. You figured, okay, one of those guys has to be really good, or one of those guys has to be a player that can be hyper-targeted. I bet on Kendrick Bourne going into year two, but it really hasn't worked out. So you look at that situation and you say, okay, I spun the fact that he's produced a little bit before in a small sample size. He's produced in multiple places. He got a decent contract, 
And more importantly, I bought into the efficiency of the offense. I bought into Mac Jones' rookie year efficiency numbers, which have regressed this year. And we're not really debating that, whether that's valid or not, but they have. So I bought into the situation. The situation turned south. Boom. I missed out on Kendrick Bourne. And it wasn't even that I missed out on Kendrick Bourne. I missed out on the situation. Because you might say, oh, well, Kendrick Bourne, he was in the doghouse in training camp. You know, that's why it didn't work out. I don't think it would have mattered. You know, I look at him and I say, I don't care if he would have been the number two receiver on the team. It wouldn't have mattered because the efficiency is not there. Some of the numbers that I'd look at just aren't there. So it was a miss. It was a guy that I was paying third round picks for in leagues before the season started, betting that I can find a cheap threshold receiver, a guy that can maybe give me a top 50 season for cheap. Because you remember last summer, a lot of the receivers were expensive. You know, everyone was coming off 2020 and 2021, running back apocalypse. Everyone was paying for receivers. It's continuing now, but it was happening last summer. So I figured, okay, if I can get Kendrick Bourne for a third, that's a win. It's a guy on efficient offense that's produced a little bit before, boom. So I bought three or four Kendrick Bourne shares for thirds. Now you say no big deal. Sure, no big deal. And actually there were a lot more deals where I got turned down. I tried to buy them and I got turned down. So it wasn't that I was ahead of the market. I was just at the market price and willing to pay, whereas a lot of other people would go, yeah, I'd rather save my third for the season. And that's really what I ended up losing. I talk about all the time being able to buy the spot starts, spot start quarterbacks, spot start running backs during the season. The shares that I bought at Kendrick Bourne, what did I miss out on? Okay, a third. I'm not looking at that third as a player that I'm going to go pick and hit on in the rookie draft. But what I did miss out is potentially a spot start running back. That was one of the keys of the running back episode, right? Like there's only 14 weeks of the regular season. You have to start two running backs. That's 28 running back starts. If I can buy just one of those starts, one week, one week of a spot start, that's worth more than what Kendrick Bourne gave me all year. And you have to kind of look at it that way is if you miss on a threshold receiver, even if you buy him for a third or two thirds, what'd you miss out on? You missed out on a potential spot start. So you have to remember that. The other one, KJ Osborne, same thing. I bought into the new offense with O'Connell. I bought into the fact that Osborne has produced in the past when Adam Thielen missed time. They really didn't do much with their receiver room. They brought back Thielen. Osborne was the number three receiver. They really didn't bring in anything in the draft. And then I bought in on the fact Kirk Cousins is a historic outlier in terms of efficiency. He's a top 12 quarterback in terms of historic efficiency. You bring in Kevin O'Connell, who should be actually better for the offense, and K.J. Osborne as a number three receiver in a target-concentrated team where the number two receiver, Adam Thielen, is going to be 33 years old. So I thought that was a great bet. I thought that was a really, really solid bet to get essentially a cheaper version of Tyler Boyd, of Josh Palmer, of Nicole Hardman, something like that. I figured I'm getting a cheaper version only because people don't see the quarterback values the same. And what happened? Well, K.J. Osborne really hasn't ever been benefited by injuries. Thielen has stayed healthy. They ended up swapping out Herb Smith for T.J. Hawkinson, which was a huge win in terms of adding another target. I mean, I talked about all offseason. Herb Smith's no good. Herb Smith was never any good. His profile never said or had nothing about it that told you he would be able to command targets. And when you throw a tight end into one of those situations, it makes those number three wide receiver bets a little shakier. I mean, look at like Hayden Hurst versus Tyler Boyd. Look at Gerald Everett versus Josh Palmer. Like as soon as you bring in the number two and number one receiver and a good receiving tight end, it's a little tougher for that third receiver to be viable, to say they could be a threshold receiver. So that changed. So not only did the Vikings not have any injuries at receiver, Thielen and Jefferson have been there all year. They brought in Hawkinson over Irv Smith. So that adds another guy that historically can draw targets. So that's in the way of Osborne. And then Kirk Cousins' efficiency is on pace to be the worst of his career. So this is Kirk Cousins' worst season. And it's crazy because the Vikings are having their best season they've had in a long time. But this is Kirk Cousins' worst season. And I talked about that uh, a couple episodes back where, you know, Kirk Cousins' efficiency, when I did the quarterback efficiency episodes, uh, Kirk Cousins' efficiency is pretty far down. And he's actually not a guy that can support multiple weapons. He can barely support Hawkinson and Adam Thielen. So he's not carrying players. He's not carrying multiple usable receivers like he has in the past. And so that just made the K.J. Osborne bet a losing one. You knew when they acquired Hawkinson, it was probably a losing bet. Because even if Thielen were to get hurt, it's still probably a losing bet with the way Cousins' efficiency was trending. 
So those are some some tales that I can tell you where I bet distinctly on two guys where I would say those are probably roster cloggers. Those are guys where I say, if I can't get anything for them, I do have to really, really zoom in and say, why am I rostering them? And I bet on them and I paid picks for them. I probably ended up giving seven or eight third round picks in total to get KJ Osborne and Kendrick Bourne shares. I think I bought like three or four of each of them. And look what happened. That was probably spot starts that I gave up. Now, not always, but I just wanted to highlight that bet that I made because I think we continually do this each offseason. We justify a player that maybe showed out towards the end of the season. Okay, that's good. They have a little positive momentum to end the season. Then free agency. They don't really get impacted by free agency. Maybe a team signs a depth player or something like that, but nothing really changes. So kind of see the K.J. Osborne situation from last year. They could have easily brought in a number three receiver over K.J. Osborne, and you go, yikes. You know, they signed D.J. Chark. Okay, that's not good news for K.J. Osborne, but they didn't do that. Then the draft comes. They don't draft a receiver, you know, in the first three or four rounds. So there's another one where, okay, he really didn't get any competition in the draft, at least immediate competition. Because again, we're talking threshold receivers for one year. When you're diving down in this range, down below like the top 50 dynasty receivers, you're probably fishing for just one year. That's it. You're not looking for anything long-term, which is the reason there were people willing to sell for thirds. You know, they know these players are already on the fringe. So, okay, I'm willing to sell for a third. And so you're really just looking at the immediate free agency and rookie draft reactions. If nothing happens, people are going to talk themselves into certain receivers next year, next summer, oh, that guy's probably worth a third. Oh, that guy's probably worth a third. And we don't know who those names are going to be exactly, but I wanted to go through some data and highlight the ones that if you isolate what they did in 2022 are maybe better or worse bets to end up in that range. And I think the biggest thing, and before I go through the data, I wanted to mention this. The biggest thing about trying to define roster clogger receivers is this. So you ask yourself the first question, are they a roster clogger based on whatever you want to define it by? And if the answer is yes, then you probably want to look to immediately try to get something for them or cut them. So the next question you have to ask is, do they have any dynasty value? Whatever you want to use to measure that, keep trade cut, whatever ADP source you look at, shopping them in your league. I did this with KJ Osborne because I talked about him obviously as a buy last year. He's a roster clogger going into 2023. So he's a player that I sent out for fourth round picks. Just essentially, that's my signal to the league is I'm probably going to cut this guy. And if I don't get a fourth rounder for him, I'm going to cut him. And the reason is someone else will probably pick him up because he's going to have a little bit of a tail because of his name, because of producing sporadically over the last year or two. Someone will pick him up. And really, there's a win in cutting him and someone else picking him up. Because now someone else has bogged their team down with a roster clogger. So that's the thing you have to look at is, are they a roster clogger? If yes, I cut them. If yes, I can try to trade them. But then you have to look at, do they have any dynasty value? Is this a player someone would actually pay for? And sometimes it's clear. I mean, I'm going to go over some names and you're going to be like, oh yeah, it's clear. That guy has some dynasty value. Okay, maybe those are the ones you should try to sell for thirds. Then you look at the guys and you go, I don't know if they have any dynasty value. Those are the ones you spam out for thirds. You don't get thirds. You spam out for fourths. You don't get a fourth. I said, even no matter the format, if you don't get a fourth, that's pretty much a signal that they're not worth a roster spot. And I know people will argue, well, you know, a fourth can be worth less than a roster spot, depending on what's on waivers. And maybe someone would give a fourth later on, but they're not going to do it at the end of the season. Again, you're you're trying to gain value on your team. And if you can't get a fourth rounder for a player, most likely that player is more valuable on somebody else's roster. And that's where you're benefiting your team because that other person is wasting a roster spot. And you're freeing one. Even in deeper leagues, I can guarantee you I can find players to pick up even in deeper leagues. And you would go, oh, I don't see a path for that player. And I would push back and say, okay, are they a running back? Are they a running back that has a chance to be in a camp next year? That's more valuable than rostering a roster clogger receiver. So I'm going to go through some names, and I'm just going to highlight how I came up with this. And I used ADP in this. I did a Patreon episode talking about this a couple weeks ago, but I've tweaked it a little bit. And I've added ADP in there. So I used KTC current wide receiver ADP. So it's not perfect. Uh, It's constantly changing. But I took the names that qualified 
this year based on their numbers, and I added in the ADP. So I added an ADP weight in there because obviously I can say a receiver is a roster clogger based on their usage and their production this year. But then you might look at their ADP and you go, you know what, I can probably get a third for that player. So those are the players, obviously, that should be prioritized a little bit higher. Doesn't mean you shouldn't trade them, but those are kind of the roster cloggers you want to be able to shop versus just flat out cutting them. Like, I can give you two names and you'll be able to tell me, okay, that guy I can probably get a third for. That guy, they might have the exact same usage and the exact same production, but that guy, I guarantee I can't get anything for. So you know which one you have to trade and you know which one you're just going to cut. So I'm going to go through this and I'm going to highlight essentially the ones that I consider to be in pure roster clogger territory. And then I'm going to highlight the ones that I think are on the fringe. And what I did is I went through and I looked at through week 13, I not only pulled the KTC ADP and I weighted their overall numbers with this. So obviously players that are valued higher are going to be slightly higher uh, in terms of this metric. But I also took the player's route run rate So that should give me a snapshot of how much they're actually playing within their offense, right? So I weighted that as one thing. I rated their target share. So obviously just the total market share that they're getting in their current offense. I weighted their targets per route run. So how many targets are they getting per the routes run that they're getting? So not only are they getting credit for running more routes, but they're also getting credit for being targeted amongst those routes. And then their yards per route run. So how many yards are they actually gaining when they're running routes. So I use those four metrics. And then finally, I use their team air yards. So their air yards percentage, and I ranked players based on that. So I use those five categories, and then I weighted that based on their ADP. And I gave a slight tick up in terms of impact to the market share. I think that's the baseline thing for a receiver. If you're looking for threshold receivers, one of the first things I look at is, does their market share meet the minimum criteria? And you can argue what that might be. I don't think there's an ironclad number, uh, but I do think, you know, if I'm trying to really, really be safe, I I would have to say it's probably at least 15%, if not more. Ideally, I'd like to be at 20 plus, but even 15, I could say I could sort by players that are getting at least 15% of their team's market share. And then I can maybe look for the outliers that might be magnified a little bit up based on their situation, based on their quarterback efficiency. Uh, But that's the most important thing. All the other stuff doesn't matter as much because you get into then players where, okay, their yards per route run is really high. Their targets per route run is pretty high, but their market share is really low. So why aren't they playing more? Why aren't they being targeted more? What's stopping them? So that's been the, the case of an example like Sky Moore all year. So Sky Moore, if you look at the yards per route run and the targets per route run, they've been good. But then you sit there and you go, well, they just need to play him more. But then continually, that's not trending up. So what's the deal? So that's one of those where it's hard to value because you just assume, well, he's going to play more because these numbers check out. He has better numbers in those categories than basically everybody on his team, but he's not playing more than those guys. So he's one of those tough ones to figure out because if he doesn't play more, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your yards per route run or your targets per route run is. If you're not running a lot of routes and then you're only being targeted on 8% of the team's passes, who cares? So that's where you have to look at that stuff a little bit deeper. So I like to establish a baseline of market share and just say, I'm really only interested in players above this. Then I'll nitpick which ones I like more and which ones I like less within that sample size. So what I wanted to do is I put all that together. So back to what I was defining in terms of my criteria. I put those five things together, weighted a little bit more for market share, and then I weighted in their current ADP. And I just came up with like an aggregate score and where those players rank in there. And so I did the cutoff, and typically I talk about, in our format, the 12-team start 10, 28-man rosters, um, I talked about the threshold, you know, being somewhere wide receiver 50-ish, probably can go as low as wide receiver 60. But again, when I'm trying to establish the threshold, I want to be aggressive. I don't want to justify putting names in there because I like them and say, well, you know, this is why that player didn't have a great season, or this is why this happened. You know, I want to be aggressive. I don't want to be looking at my teams and saying, well, this player's right on the fringe, but they had draft pedigree or they were good two years ago. So let me justify keeping them because of that reason. If anything, that's the opposite of what you should be doing. Those are the guys you should be going, wow, I'm so glad that this player still has some dynasty value, but I'm almost certain based on this data that they're probably a roster clogger. So let me go ahead and get rid of them. Let me see if I can get a third for them. So I want to be aggressive. You know, I don't want to be rostering four or five receivers that are in the bottom third of the threshold. 
that's not really helping you. The goal is to not only establish the threshold, but then once you've done that, get as many players within your roster build as high on that threshold as possible. Like you probably want to have all eight of your receivers within the top 40. Just because the threshold is wide receiver 55 doesn't mean you want to have four or five players between 40 and 55. So yeah, you're achieving the roster construction, but the quality within that construction is about as low as it gets. So think about that, but I want to be aggressive. And so that's what I'm essentially doing here is I'm establishing the cutoff and I'm using the top 50. So essentially I took the aggregate score based on this data and I took out everybody that was outside the top 50 and I wanted to examine that list a little bit further. Now here's what I used as the minimum. I picked players this year that have played at least 250 snaps and that's the cutoff. So if there's players that have played less than that, I don't think there's a big enough sample size to necessarily say, okay, we can justify this guy being a roster clogger because usually those ones are players that didn't play a lot of games or, you know, have missed time due to injury. So I've omitted those. So I use that as a baseline. And so through week 13, we've had 107 receivers that have played the minimum number of snaps. And then I've calculated all of that data for all of those 107. And then just picked the list out of where the cutoff was for potential roster cloggers. So I'm going to talk about it. And of this list, of the 107, 60 of them came out to be potential roster cloggers. So you can do the math. 107 minus 60, I have 47 receivers that I'm pretty comfortable putting on the list as players that I'm okay going into next year with as possible threshold receivers. So I'll talk about that list in the second half, but let's focus on the list that falls below the threshold. So 67 names, and I'm going to start at the top. So obviously, as I go further down, you're going to start getting into names where you go, yeah, obviously, that guy's a guy you would cut going into the offseason. So I'm going to start at the top, and what I'm going to do is I am going to now filter the guys from the top based on their current KTC ADP. Because I think that also gives us a glimpse at the top of that sort of players that I think I could probably trade based on the fact that they still have some value. So I think that's the biggest thing to look at here is possible clogger receivers that I can possibly trade because of their current trade value. I'm not saying trade these guys. What I'm saying is look at these players once you've established your threshold. And the ones at the top, you know, I'm going to sit here and say, oh, roster clogger, roster clogger, roster clogger. That's not a great term. Someone called me out in the chat the other day and said, that's a term that's kind of improperly used because when you say roster clogger, it means a guy you literally want to get off your team. That's not the case. This is just a list where I sit there and say, okay, examine where you have these guys on your team. A lot of these names, you're going to say, oh, that's probably not a roster clogger. Of course not. But when you think about it, there's probably going to be some names where I go, you can probably get a second for that player. Okay, think about it at least. Think about it in the terms of if I can get a second for this player and backfill with a cheaper player that probably still fits my wide receiver 45 to 60 definition, wouldn't it make sense to do that? So I think that's how I'm going to use the top part of this list to say, these are the guys I maybe want to explore potentially moving because they have dynasty value because they could be a little bit more of a liquid asset than many of the other guys that are below them that essentially will occupy the same spot within your roster construction. So I'm going to start at the top. I'm going to start with the ones that have the most dynasty value. So a score of 70.7. And again, this is basically out of the 107 that I talked about. So the higher the score, the worse the player graded out. So with the score 70.7, Jahan Dotson. So Jahan Dotson has been pretty bad this year. I mean, if you look at a lot of Jahan Dotson's data, uh, it's not great. Not great, Bob, at all. I mean, only a 12.32% market share, 94th in targets per route run, 96th in yards per route run, 63rd in team air yard share. So nothing Jahan Dotson has done this year uh, has been good. And I'm not saying he's not a potential future threshold receiver. But his rookie year says that he's probably one of the guys you'd want to explore selling. Absolutely, if you could get a re-roll on Jahan Dotson doing it. Uh, The next one, Elijah Moore, 64.3. And I know Elijah Moore is going to be one that pops up on here and people go, oh, you know, it was the situation with him, you know, kind of being on the outs with the organization. He was in the doghouse. Bottom line, only 11% target share, 82nd. 
96th in targets per route run, 97th in yards per route run, 67th in team air yard share. So essentially, he's basically what Jahan Dotson is. A little bit better, but that's another guy where he still probably has some dynasty value. But consider, you know, a re-roll for Elijah Moore, if you could do that. A couple others. They're a little bit better. Both of these guys are in the 50s, 55.25 and 55.65. Donovan Peoples-Jones and Romeo Dubs. These guys are essentially the definition of being on the fringe of roster cloggers. But they're also guys you potentially could get a second for. If you could get a second for either one, I'm fine doing it. But I think everybody listening would probably say, oh, I'd buy those guys for a third. So I think they're in that range where if you have them, if you look at your team and you go, oh, DPJ is my wide receiver six or seven. Romeo Dubs is my wide receiver six or seven. Those are the ones you shop for the second. If you can't get the second, you could at least consider taking the two thirds and just banking, okay, maybe they are the definition of fringe threshold receivers. And with the fringe guys, like I talked about before, there's always the risk that they could sign another similar player. They could draft another similar player. So again, those guys are probably right on the fringe. I'd sell for a second, but I'd also pay a third. So consider that. Then you have a few others. These are some names that are pretty big as well. Uh, 53, 53, 57, and 52. You have the next four, Michael Gallup, Chase Claypool, Curtis Samuel, and Tyler Boyd. All of those guys are wide receiver 46 through 51 in KTC. So value-wise, they're basically top 50 receivers. During this year, all of them have been playable. I think a lot of people would look at those names and say, you know what, all of those guys are probably threshold receivers. I probably agree. I think all of them have something about their profiles, about their past production, where you say, I want those guys, I would buy. But also be wary of saying, I would pay a second for those guys. I think what this says is very much like Donovan Peoples-Jones and Romeo Dubs, except for those guys are younger and maybe have a little bit of a higher ceiling. Same thing with these guys. These guys are all veterans. These guys are all going into their fourth or more years after this season. And boom, if I could sell for a second, I would. But if I could buy for a third, I would be definitely willing to take shots on them, kind of like I did last year. These would be the high-end pedigree versions of like Kendrick Bourne or KJ Osborne. And you're probably not buying these guys for thirds. So think about that, though. These are guys where if you have them as your wide receiver six, wide receiver seven, just like before with Dubs and Donovan Peoples-Jones, they're definitely ones to consider selling. Because again, they're all going into their fourth or later years in Dynasty, and they're probably going to be a little less appealing on the market than somebody like Dubs or somebody like DPJ. So the next grouping, uh, here's one that really stands out. Unfortunately, one of the worst receivers in the league this year, David Bell. So David Bell was at 89.3, so almost way down at the very, very bottom. In fact, there were only four receivers in this sample size worse than David Bell. Market share ranks 102nd. Targets per route run, 101st. Yards per route run, 101st. Team air yard share, 105th. And the other thing, he's 81st in route run percentage, so he's not even playing that much. But when he plays, he sucks. He's not producing at all. He's not being used at all. He's not earning any targets. So David Bell is one of those guys, he is absolutely, I'm getting out for a third, and there might be people that buy. Now, there's probably only going to be people that buy for one more year, but I can see the narrative of, well, David Bell, he was a rookie, they had a couple other guys ahead of him, they run two tight ends, they had Jacoby Brissett and not Deshaun Watson. None of that really matters. Really what we're looking at is, can this guy earn any playing time? David Bell is a classic example of a Debbie profile that got just high enough draft capital for people to say, okay, I'll hang on for another year. But everything in his rookie year says absolute roster clogger. Even if he takes a step up 20% next year, he's still not even in the high-end roster clogger range. So just think about that. That's definitely a re-rule guy. Some other names on here that have a little bit of appeal. Uh, Paris Campbell, 659 Definitely a guy you're selling, probably in the lower end version of Gallup, Claypool, Samuel Boyd. I'd take any third for Paris Campbell. Terrace Marshall, same thing. Tyquan Thornton, a little bit better than David Bell, but not a lot. So Tyquan Thornton's another guy I'd take the re-roll on. Nicole Hardman, I think everyone kind of sees him as a potential roster clogger, but he's hitting free agency. You never know. That could be a guy that in this current market somehow commands like $10 million from somebody. You know, that could be like another Nelson Aguilar. And you're like, wow, I can't believe someone just paid him $12 million a year. But just because he signed somewhere new 
Again, probably a roster clogger, so someone I would take a third for. A few others on this list that stand out to me, just below Marshall, Thornton, McCole Hardman, Devin Duvernay, definite roster clogger, Isaiah McKenzie, definite roster clogger, Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. So both of these guys grade out pretty decently, Thielen at 51.1, Chark at 54.7. So those guys are more in the Gallup, Claypool, Samuel Boyd range except for their dynasty values a little bit lower. So I almost consider those guys as being the types that I would buy for a third, and then I would try to sell one of the others. So strategy here, if you have Donovan Peoples-Jones, Romeo Dubs, Gallup, Claypool, Samuel, Tyler Boyd, if you can sell those guys for a second and buy DJ Chark or Adam Thielen for a third, essentially what I'm saying is they're the exact same thing. So you net a pick there, and all you're doing is essentially exchanging out your wide receiver seven or your wide receiver six. So those are guys I'd actually say, okay, they're probably a little better than their keep trade cut value, and they're the same thing as guys that are valued a little bit higher. Below that, we're starting to get in almost all roster cloggers. So I'm just going to go down through this list, starting with Richie James, Nelson Aguilar, Mac Hollins, Olamide Zacchaeus, Demarcus Robinson, Russell Gage, Van Jefferson, Devontae Parker, DeAndre Carter, Greg Dortch, Allen Robinson, RIP Allen Robinson. Khalif Raymond, Marquise Goodwin, K.J. Osborne, Noah Brown, Chris Moore, Robbie Anderson, Ben Skoranek, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, Kendrick Bourne, Shai Smith, Traquan Smith, Philip Dorsett, Equinemius St. Brown, A.J. Green, Sammy Watkins, Trent Sherfield, Zach Paschal, Quez Watkins, Kendall Hinton, Marquez Calloway, Justin Watson, Keelan Cole, Dante Pettis, David Sills, and Cam Sims. So that's a pretty, really barren list in terms of players that most of them, you heard their names and you go, yeah, obviously those guys are roster cloggers, but just repeat that list. Go back and listen. And just remember, if you have those guys, they're probably players where you have to move on to step two. Can I get anything for any of those names? Can I get a third for Mac Hollins? Gone. Can I get a third for Van Jefferson? Gone. Can I get anything for Allen Robinson? Gone. Can I get anything for KJ Osborne? Gone. Kendrick Bourne? Gone. Trent Sherfield? Gone. Any of those names? They're definite roster cloggers, and then you have to examine the next step. Can I get anything for them? If the answer is no, and a lot of times that means you just spam out your league for thirds. If the answer is no, then okay, they probably have to get cut. So you know the ones on that list where you go, ooh, that name. Maybe I can get something for those guys. Everybody else probably consider cutting. Now, a few others that I wanted to mention that are a little bit in that fringe territory of, hey, maybe I'll buy those guys for a third if I can swap out one of the higher valued ones for a second. So a few names I wanted to highlight here. So Marquez Valdez-Scantling, 52.9. Not bad, especially if he stays with the Chiefs. I think he's one of those guys I'd buy for a third. Jarvis Landry, not bad. I know he's getting older. He's kind of dealt with a bad situation, and he's still not graded out terribly. So Jarvis Landry is another one I'd still buy for a third after this year if it means I can sell someone like Tyler Boyd for a second. Corey Davis, 54.8. Another one, Jawan Jennings, interestingly. That's one you can probably pick up to the point where I've actually picked up a couple Jawan Jennings shares in leagues where he's gotten cut, and you can actually sell a receiver for a pick, pick up Jawan Jennings, and essentially you're getting the exact same thing. Marvin Jones, that's a guy a lot of people are going to cut after this year. And he's probably right on the fringe. But again, like if you're looking for the cheapest possible scenario, he could be one that's on that list. The last two, Josh Reynolds, Robert Woods, these guys are towards the bottom. I'm mostly interested in MVS, Jarvis Landry, Corey Davis, and Juwan Jennings on that list. But right below the number, you still have Marvin Jones, Josh Reynolds, Robert Woods, Richie James. So we're talking a tedious cutoff here, but I just want to go through these names just to give everybody an idea of... Basically, the overarching purpose here is that all of these guys are largely the same. You know which ones have value, you know which ones don't. So manipulate the back end of your roster in terms of your threshold, manipulate the names using this strategy. You know, try to sell some of these guys that I mentioned for seconds. And then if you're looking for a cheap threshold receiver, maybe some of the names that I mentioned end up being your versions of Kendrick Bourne or KJ Osborne. Now, I gave you examples where it didn't work out for me. Uh, But there's examples where it does work out with those types of players. So it works both ways. You can sometimes hit on a wide receiver that ends up being within the threshold, but you didn't have to pay a lot for him. I mean, I'll give you an example from this past year. Instead of Kendrick Bourne or KJ Osborne, if you would have bought Zay Jones, it worked out for you. If you would have picked up or bought Darius Slayton, it worked out for you. So there's two examples of guys that were at or below the value of Kendrick Bourne and KJ Osborne 
but they actually hit within the threshold this year thus far. So consider that. I hope this helps, uh, helps define how to go through your teams and look at your wide receivers. Again, we're early on in the offseason process. We haven't even finished the 2022 season. So as you start to prep your teams going forward, you want to examine this and be aggressive. Be aggressive in dumping the ones that are on the fringe. Try to get picks for those guys. And then know that you can always kind of buy back in receivers in this range for the same price. Worst case scenario, you sell a guy like Tyler Boyd or Michael Gallup or Chase Claypool for a second. Big deal. You don't think you can find next year's version of that same type of player to fit your seventh or eighth receiver on your roster if you have an extra second laying around? Absolutely. But the biggest benefit is I have the second netted. Not only do I gain a roster spot, hell, I might be able to pick up a guy like Jawan Jennings on waivers, but I've also now added an extra pick into my asset chest. And I have that pick to do who knows what. Move up in the rookie draft. Upgrade another position. I mean, I'm storing that in my bank. This is what I talked about on last week's episode. Once the season ends, even before the season ends, even if you're a team that's contending, a lot of people can't do it because their trade deadline's passed, but if you don't have a trade deadline, it starts now. Liquidation season starts now, and this is the classic spot. Because receivers are so valued in Dynasty, people love themselves receivers. There's some names I mentioned on this kind of outside threshold list that people still like. Take advantage of that. Take the picks. Know you can acquire this type of player really at any time, as long as you're the one that has the picks laying around. So hopefully that helps. Uh, I'll be back in 30 seconds. I want to briefly touch on the within threshold list thus far through week 13. So I'll be back in 30 seconds, and then we'll wrap this up talking about the good list. Welcome back. So the first part of the episode, I talked about the potential roster clogger receivers, and I wanted just to briefly highlight the ones that are definitely not roster cloggers, the guys that fit in the range where you would say, okay, I'm comfortable adding these guys as part of my wide receiver threshold going into 2023. So I'm just going to run down the list, no specific order other than the way that they came out in terms of the overall ranking. So Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Chris Olave, Justin Jefferson, DK Metcalf, DeAndre Hopkins, Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, Jalen Waddell, Cooper Cup, Garrett Wilson, CeeDee Lamb, T. Higgins, Tyler Lockett, A.J. Brown, Marquise Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, Amari Cooper, Christian Kirk, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, D.J. Moore, Jacoby Myers, Terry McLaurin, Jerry Judy, Brandon Cooks, Mike Williams, Michael Pittman, Nico Collins, Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, Drake London, Cortland Sutton, Devontae Smith, Josh Palmer, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Alan Lazard, Darius Slayton, Alec Pierce, Gabriel Davis, Zay Jones, Darnell Mooney, Christian Watson, George Pickens, Rondale Moore, and finally the one name I didn't expect to be on this list, Randall Cobb. Now you can probably sit there and go, Randall Cobb, he's on the list. How did he make this cutoff? Technically, he's under the threshold that I was looking for for the cutoff, so he's technically there. You can probably look at him and say, okay, he's probably an exception, but some of his numbers are okay. You know, target share, 67th, not great, only 13.38. So that's where you can kind of use that group of, okay, he still has some of these other numbers, but he only has a 13% market share. So I probably want to exclude him. There's a few others on here that are below that number, but you can probably justify it. Someone like Alec Pierce, he's a rookie. Christian Watson, obviously he's a rookie. Pretty much everybody else though is within or above that number. So that's your list. Then you start looking at how do I expand outside of these guys and build my wide receiver threshold. So I talked about that in the first part of the show. With these names that I just gave you, 95% of those were, yeah, I know that guy's good. Clearly, he's a threshold receiver. But a few that stuck out to me that based on their current market price, you might be able to go and buy at the end of the season because people don't believe that they're actually any good. Uh, one that stuck out to me, Nico Collins. A lot of people will put Nico Collins in as kind of a roster clogger, right? Like, what's the difference between Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones? Well, the numbers say Nico Collins is a little bit better. 19% market share. 
22nd in targets per route run, 39th in yards per route run, 29th in team air yard share, route participation, 40th. So, I mean, he's top 40 in every number. So that tells me he's probably a threshold receiver. Now, is he a guy I want to necessarily buy? No, but he's also a player where if I could buy him for a third and sell one of those other guys for a second, boom, done, especially the fact that he's injured. So if you're looking a little bit forward, he might be a player that I'd be willing to buy because you, you got to figure the situation isn't going to change a whole lot there. They're going to get a new quarterback. They might have a brand new offense, but I'm not sure they add an abundance of talent around him to say, okay, he's at worst, he's like next year's version of KJ Osborne, but he's probably a little bit better. Another one that stands out, Darius Slayton. That's a guy that everyone's going to chalk up to, well, he's only good because the Giants don't have anybody else. And I think there's an element to that to where, you know, that's probably a fair argument. But a lot of his numbers are still pretty good. 49th in market share, 43rd in targets per route run, 13th in yards per route run, 18th in team air yard share. And really, he didn't play a lot early in the year. So only 54% of the time, he's running routes compared to his snaps. So that's one where maybe he's a little bit of a lesser version of Nico Collins, but he's also a guy I'd be willing to buy. He's going to be available because people are going to say, oh, the Giants are going to add like three more receivers. But maybe he's one of those guys that even as the wide receiver three on a team could be on the fringe of a threshold. And you can probably get him for a lot cheaper than some of the names that I mentioned that actually graded out lower than him. Zay Jones, same thing. People are going to completely fade Zay Jones uh, only because he's going to be facing more competition with Calvin Ridley coming back. So Zay Jones is going to be another one that's probably going to be available. And those are the three. Those are the three that stood out to me. Nico Collins, Zay Jones, Darius Slayton as guys you can probably buy as like next year's possible versions of what I was talking about with Kendrick Bourne and KJ Osborne. So back to that very, very beginning point. Those are going to be ones that I'm not buying them right now especially Darius Slayton, because he's very usable. He's very startable. Same with Zay Jones. He's startable right now. Nico Collins is hurt, so he might be a little bit easier. But those are three players that when the season ends, you might see him on some auto-accept trade blocks. You might see people going, hey, I'll take a third for those guys. And I'm not saying do it necessarily. I'm not saying blow your third in January to go buy these guys. But you want to have your threshold kind of calculated based on your team. Do I need two receivers? Do I have four extra thirds? That would be the situation where I would say, okay, maybe you can justify buying a share or two. Am I at my threshold, but I'm sitting on Michael Gallup, Chase Claypool, Adam Thielen, Tyler Boyd, Curtis Samuel, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Romeo Dobbs, Adam Thielen. Can I sell those guys for two-thirds or a second and then go buy Darius Slayton? And I've essentially replaced one for one my roster construction and my setup at wide receiver. I've literally not changed a thing about the construct of my team. And Eric and I talk about this on America's Game. When you're talking about like this range of receiver, the wide receiver seven or eight on your team, there's probably very little impact there. They're a placeholder. They're a flex every once in a while. You know, you hope you don't have to start them because you have seven or six receivers better. But for purposes of your roster construction, it's the exact same thing. So think about that. That is the big takeaway from today's episode is identifying these players, who they are, who they aren't, and then looking at ways to manipulate the market. You might be naming a bunch of guys that you have on your team that were in that good group. Hey, I have seven guys in that group. Okay, which ones can I maybe extract a little value on? You know, which ones? What is the difference between, say, Jerry Judy and Mike Williams? What's the difference between Jacoby Myers and Brandon Ayuk? Like the numbers say there's no difference. But the market might say, ooh, I really like one. Ooh, I don't really like the other. Take advantage of it. And this is, and I'll do a future episode talking about this as well. But from a portfolio perspective, this is why when I'm operating in this range, when I'm operating in the wide receiver two, wide receiver three, wide receiver four range, still within the threshold. But this is a range where there is a lot of value discrepancy. There is a lot of opinion based on who I want because of X, Y, and Z, because of youth, because of profile. When reality, this is a very low impact range of player on your team. So can you manipulate the market and still maintain enough players within that range to to build your wide receiver core and round out your roster construction? And I'll talk about my portfolio management. When I'm in this range, I really, really like to diversify. I really like to manage how many shares of those types of receivers that I carry. 
the ones that are undervalued, I'll buy. The ones that are overvalued, I'll sell. And I'm really just trying to do pivot trades where I'm getting a second on top or flipping one out for a pick and then buying another for a pick. But I really try to manage how many shares. I don't ever want to be at a point where I'm way overweight on a player in that range. And I usually stick to around 20% max amongst my portfolio. And I'm talking about 60 dynasty teams, currently 58, but might be a little bit more in the off season. Now, I did want to give a caveat. We get a lot of people that listen to Destination Debbie that follow Mike and Adam, uh, that listen to Ray and Jay Rich. We have a lot of best ball listeners, and I'm going to be getting more into best ball this off season. So those guys have definitely influenced me into, hey, there's a nuance to best ball. I kind of used to be a best ball hater and say, oh, there's not really strategy in terms of you don't have to set a lineup. It's just essentially get players and let them rip. Like you don't have to have any skill in terms of who you play, but it's different. There's a nuance. So I'm going to be getting more into best ball, not because I think it's better than lineup. I love lineup. I'll never go away from lineup leagues, but it's different. It's a different skill. It challenges a different part of your dynasty brain. So I'm going to be getting more into best ball. Everything I talked about with roster construction, everything I talked about with the wide receiver threshold, and essentially everything I've talked about on this show thus far through 10 episodes and now 11 kind of goes out the window to an extent when you talk best ball. Those guys do a great job of talking best ball. Mike and Adam especially talk about best ball. That's usually their focus. They're the ones that are always making the well in lineup caveats. So I'm going to have those guys on in the offseason. We're definitely going to kind of rehash some of this same stuff from a best ball lens because I think that's an important thing to discuss because there's a lot of best ball players out there. So hopefully all this helped you. Again, check out the roster construction series. Uh, Just as a reminder to everybody, we will be doing a live stream uh, Sunday evening after the week 18 games that will kick off the off season of Destination Dynasty, where I'll be doing a lot more live streaming. Uh, So a lot more podcast feed episodes will be those live stream recordings off of YouTube. So that will be streaming on the Destination Debbie YouTube channel. As always, check out my work at Charles Chill FFB on Twitter. Destination Devi Patreon is patreon.com slash allgas. My personal Patreon, where you get a lot of bonus content from me, is patreon.com slash dynastyandchill. Check out my YouTube channel, at Trades in 5 on YouTube. Myself, Shane Manila, and Clay Mosley do weekly content, weekly live streaming. It's all Dynasty Trades. It's all interaction. So if you're a YouTube listener or a YouTube follower, uh, check that out on there as well. And then finally, a shout out to everybody at the DD team. Uh, it's been a great season thus far. We're already into double digits episodes of Destination Dynasty. Shout out to Jay Rich every week who takes the episode, gets it posted timely. Uh, most of the time I get it recorded like very, very end of the day on Sunday. Boom, he's got it up Monday morning first thing. Uh, shout out to Ray again for the opportunity. Looking forward to a lot of the new content coming in 2023 on Destination Devi. Uh, Ray's the best. Ray is going to be somebody that I'm going to really lean on, especially in this 2023 class, that a lot of the analytics and a lot of the numbers are not what we want them to be. They're messed up. They're out of context. So definitely looking forward to a lot of his work on the 2023 class. Uh, And then shout out to everybody that's in the Heisman group, especially uh, constantly giving me ideas, constantly challenging me, constantly challenging me to become a better dynasty player. And that's what leads to this content. So hopefully everybody's enjoying it thus far. Looking forward to the rest of this season. Good luck in your fantasy playoffs to everybody. And with that, I will go ahead and sign off. Be chill.